The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Daikon. Use less energy to heat your home this winter. D-A-I-K-I-N dot I-E. Your energy, your choice. On News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome to the latest edition of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan, your host, and coming up this week, it's the first Home Show pod of 2024. So we're going to be looking ahead for Ireland's aspiring homeowners. What does the market look like? What's going to happen this year? Paul Merriman, better known as Ask Paul, will be helping us to reset our finances for the year. We meet an entrepreneur who has turned an ancient tradition into a modern business venture. And Jennifer Sheehan is going to be telling us what's on trend in patterns for 2024. If you'd like to get involved in the pod, you can email us at any stage during the week to the home show at newstalk.com and you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and I'd be delighted to hear from you. Now, I know we're almost a week into it, but the way holidays work for different people, it may be that you're not fully back, maybe, at work or certainly not school if you have kids until next week. And look, I know I could be shot for this, but it's kind of nice to be back in the normal swing of things. I don't know about you, Christmas... It starts so early every single year and it seems to me I've been on the go since the end of November. So the tree's gone, the decorations are down, the kids have gone and my house still looks untidy but a little bit bigger than it has looked for many weeks. So I'm on the lookout for some inspiration or maybe a kick up the you-know-what to start getting it all sorted again. So Jennifer Sheehan will be the lady to do it. She's never one to mince her words and I'm looking forward to her advice on storage and decluttering later on in the show. But if you, like me, still still have a couple of days in hand. Well, then why don't you pour yourself a coffee, sit back for the next hour and join us while we inform and entertain on The Home Show. Now, this week's daft.ie report has shown that house prices increased by 3.4% in 2023. And that's the smallest increase since 2019. Not the same as a fall, folks. Housing prices so are stabilising or look like they are, but they're still rising. So is there cause for some optimism on uh, house prices going into 2024? Well, to give us uh, her crystal ball straight out of the bag and give it a bit of a polish, we have Carol Tallon, CEO of Property District. Uh, Carol, you're very welcome. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Sinead. Thank you for having me. Now, um, so let's start with last year. And, and what the daft report, because they are very reliable and, and I think most people get, get a sense that this is the, where the, the kind of non-governmental view maybe of the market is. You know, this is an independent report. So tell us what it told us. Well, um, really, the the property market across Ireland, I don't think we can even talk about the property market in Ireland. We used to talk about Dublin and outside of Dublin. We can't even do that anymore. There are huge differences. So if you look at the average house price now, you're talking about uh, for an average three bed semi, you're talking about 304,000. But that's not really of any value to anybody because you're talking about maybe 511,000 mm. in Dublin, 160,000 mm. in Donegal. So there's huge discrepancies. What we've seen is... As there's more demand for activity than there is supply to meet that demand um, in yeah. the regions, and that's been that's probably been the the not the biggest surprise, but maybe the biggest frustration because in 2021 it really looked like we were building a pipeline of new supply. Where's it gone? Do you think that that's because there is this push 
back out towards the suburbs and different and the commuter counties because just because the Dublin prices had got so high and people are just saying, look, I'm going to, I want to live in Dublin, but I'm I'm now going to have to look at Meath, I'm going to have to look at Kildare, I'm going to have to look at Leash. So would that account maybe for the rises in those particular places? Um, I, I think we have to, to balance it by saying the rises are coming off a low base. So they they look disproportionate and, and that's okay. a huge driver. So there's a bit of a catch up. Yeah, but you know, the other side of it is I think there's been a generational shift that we don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but COVID, introducing remote working, was really interesting for the regions because for the first time for many people, for the first time ever, they were able to choose where they lived. They weren't tied to within a 45-minute commute of their work. So it's. It, I, I think in the past we might have said people are choosing to go outside of uh, the main urban areas for affordability. But I think COVID taught us something that actually when people had the opportunity to escape the cities, they did and they did it in droves. Mm. Now, that's not to say that will be sustainable. It's not to say they'll choose it for life. But they definitely chose it during that time. Mm. And many of them are doubling down on their decisions on where they were renting three years ago yeah. during COVID. But I wonder in a, in a full employment market, which is what we have now, it's the, you know, the employee gets to call the shots to some extent. Do you know, they can say, look, I'm not working with you unless you allow me to do this. I wonder if we do tip into a form of a recession or, or, you know, a global downturn, the tables might change there. And you might have employers saying, we're not hiring you unless you come into the office. Uh, so, we, we might see a change there in 24. Now, one of the other things, of course, that we couldn't get past in 2023, not a good day uh, out for on board Planola. They've had their problems. They continue to have their problems. What, what's the setup there? What's happening now? Well, I think 2023 was, I don't want to say groundbreaking. It was a ground shaking year for planning. Um, it is the first time, to my knowledge, that a serving public servant received a jail sentence for um, or a prison sentence for breach of conflict and breach of his uh, duties. This now, is Paul Hyde. That, that mm. sentence was, of course, suspended. But mm. the fact that, that um, coming out of the crash, when that didn't happen to bankers, it didn't happen during the previous planning tribunal, for that to happen, it really felt like a, um, a pivotal moment for planning in Ireland. And I, I, to be fair, the industry has risen up and the state has risen up too in response to that. Like Planning is a problem. It, it's not just a problem. It's probably the problem of the housing crisis. But there is a response in play here. So we have the new planning and development bill, which was the second draft of that was issued in the last um, maybe six weeks before Christmas. And that's the third largest piece of legislation in Ireland's history. Um, Now, frankly, it doesn't offer the radical reform that was promised. However, it does fix some of the problems Um, as as almost an outsider to the planning industry. I would suggest that trying to fix a complex system is never going to work. You almost need to go back and rebuild it from from scratch. I know, but Uh, like Carol, people need confidence in the planning system. You're always getting, you'll get NIMBYs at every turn, right? Everybody wants social housing built, affordable housing built. Nobody wants it right here. Okay, they want it somewhere else because that's where it would be better. Uh, And you're always going to then have problems. So do you do you take a political response and say, we're going to ride roughshod over that and just build it anyway? Or no, we're going to listen to everybody who's anything to say on the matter uh, and and hold it up for years and years. We saw the the um, Ortiz primetime documentary where it showed that there were individuals, you know, who were 
see, you know, have delayed the process or maybe people who, who weren't living nearby, you know, developments that were going up. And it really puts a spanner in the works. So oh, will this bill no. change any of that? It will. Uh, uh, not, it doesn't go as far as it needed to go at all. But I mean, look, I, 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 there's so much in what you said there um, that needs to be unpacked. Like, yes, the planning needs to be much more transparent, uh, much more, uh, I, I, I suppose, uh, the important way to position it is planning is a public function, which means every citizen ha- can have their say. And that doesn't happen. And actually... I would say that it hasn't been encouraged. It hasn't been encouraged by the state and it hasn't been encouraged by the private sector. And quite frankly, both sides need to wake up because actually, and we've done quite a bit of work into this in the last number of years. And back in uh, 2017, 2018, we were um, acting, uh, we, we were working on a solution in response to uh, the data centre not being allowed in, in Athenry. Um, and that was a really interesting one because actually we had an objector at the other side of the country raise an environmental concern that derailed that project for a number of years. And by the time it got back on track, mm. Apple had built a second project mm. in in, um, in Denmark. So it didn't want to come to Ireland. But the really interesting dynamic about that was that the people of Athenry took to the streets with signs saying... Athenry for Apple. We want our they, they want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, when you talk about NIMBYism, I think it's really important that we recognise, uh, and by the way, we would love for the government, we would love for the private sector to hear this, both sides, that actually shutting out the community is not the answer. Yeah, the yeah. places belong to the community and actually by not encouraging public consultation, the people who want to object will find a way to object. But what you're doing is that you're you're only capturing the the loud minority, but you're mm. not capturing the silent majority. And the vast majority of people are reasonable, and either they're struggling to find their own home or to move up or mm. down, or even if they're comfortable and sitting pretty in their own home, chances are they've adults, sons and daughters who would want to buy at some. Stage. And I suppose we've seen that in most evidently in the complete contrast the other end of the property market which is housing uh, refugees and asylum seekers because we've seen the dreadful uh, cases where you know buildings whether or not they appear to have been used for this uh, were burnt down and there's you know that's obviously criminal damage so uh, uh, but a lot of the even voices in that are saying well you, you never told us what was happening we didn't know so we had to kind of guess or, or only listen to the extremists rather than the facts of it so is that something in 2024 that that'll have to change Carol? It will have to change but almost I don't want those two issues conflated because we can never say that lack of public consultation leads to the arson of a building. That's a criminal act and in fact I think it was really irresponsible for some of our public representatives to even conflate those two issues. So I would like to very much separate those issues but still to say that actually the community should be consulted and in fact you know there's um yeah, I, I have a great book in my bag at the moment that I was reading as I was sitting to come in and, and there's a great quote in it that says being heard and being listened to but really being heard feels the same as being loved. So for most people they can't tell the difference mm. and that might seem like a stretch to say we need to do this for our community but the reality is place belongs to the people. We do need to listen to the people and where the will of the people isn't going to be followed, it needs to be explained why it's not going to be followed. And the reality is it can't always be followed because we do need to build in a different way. We do need uh, greater density. We do need more compact development. We do need emergency housing. We do need to be able to house all of our people. We don't want homelessness turning into a commercial sector, which mm. is what's happened over mm. the last number of years. Or, or worse, ghettoising it. And, and I suppose you're always going to have that tie, that pull between the needs of the individual or the wants of the individual and the greater good 
and it, and it's a tough one to get across politically because that's not how you get votes, Carol. Well, you know, again, this actually brings us back. You know, I, I said at the start that planning is not just a problem, it's the problem. But actually, the role of planning has been completely distorted over the past number of decades in Ireland. But planning was always about building place for the common good. Yeah. And the common good has to dictate. Okay. Uh, now, while we're on the subject of, you know, emergency housing or that type of housing, there was a great hue and cry. I remember interviewing uh, one a minister uh, last year, this probably this time of year, who told me that... It was all going to be sorted because modular housing was going to fix all of our problems. It could be dropped in, you know, kind of a couple of weeks, punk it down. Then we did a piece from a modular housing development that had gone ahead in Cork. Uh, I think we had Sean Defoe in. He'd been down having a look around on a tour. It was absolutely fantastic. It looked great. Uh, And then that was it. So is that project still online? Or is there still stuff going up? In fact, I would say that's one of the success stories from 2023. So actually the ramping up of our offsite and modern methods of construction sector in Ireland has been phenomenal over the past year to 18 months. In fact, the project you're referring to there, uh, which has been well documented publicly and through the media, uh, that was the Office of Public Works taking the lead on that. Um, and in fact, some of the delays that I, I, I were maybe miscommunicated were actually around the suitability of sites, sourcing sites, the suitability and getting sites ready. But actually in the background of all of those site-specific delays, the manufacturers up and down the, the length and breadth of Ireland were actually building these um, modular homes and building these units. So actually what you were hearing from the ministers where they were walking into the facilities, whether they were in Tipperary or Galway or wherever in the country they were, they were walking in. So they were actually inside those facilities. Yeah. And by the way, it's really important when you walk inside a modular homes facility, you don't just walk into the facility, you can walk into the home. They, in mm. some cases, the apartment might be in two parts. I mean, they are they're, very they're impressive. Done. So yes, only half the targets were met though in it. And is that just site specific then you're saying rather than the, yeah, the absolutely. construction? My understanding is that because actually um, the pipeline of construction has scaled up massively. So we know that over 50% of what was due to be delivered is on the ground. People have moved in. So that's on the ground. So that's what I mean. That is one of the success okay. okay. three. But actually the rest are waiting to be installed. But that's the fabulous thing about offsite and and modern methods of construction. And I almost, again, we're kind of uh, conflating modular with offsite because actually there's loads of different types of offsite. There's seven different categories of modern mm. methods of construction. Modular being one very important one and it's absolutely been um, a tool to solve some of the problems that we have. But there are others that are fit different sites but actually that one particular project the OPW's project that has been one of the success stories mm. and we expect mm. it to be for 2024 as well. Good. Okay, good. Well that's a positive then that we can we can hang our hat on. And before I let you go Carl great uh, insight there into lots of things that are going ahead. Uh, you have an interesting update on the Gaeltacht. What's uh, what's happening there? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Actually, um, there has been somewhat of a, a revolt and it's coming from a few different directions. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert has this thing that says when it's an idea is time to be born, it will it will 
occur okay. to a number of different <laughs> yeah. people. It'll come from a number, of a number of different sources. And that's what we're seeing. So the, there's a the few stories. The new perhaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but, but it's amazing. Um, actually, there's it's coming from a few different a few different directions now, but there is a real move towards, uh, there's a physiotherapist in the Gale Talked at the moment who returned after travelling for a number of years and very frustrated that she can't find a place to live in the Gale Talked. And as a Gale Gore, she wants to be able to live within people speaking the same language. Um, so she's currently living in a camper van. But while essentially lobbying for reform. But what's interesting here is that we've had lobbying in the past that only uh, Gale Gores should be able to build in the Gale Talked. But actually there's a new a new group of young professionals have come together to lobby that second-hand homes should be sold to Irish speakers within the Gael oh, area right. because affordability has just gone crazy. Mm. We saw this first mm. in Dingle. We're seeing it in Connemara at the moment. There's no doubt that if it happens... So is this more to do with house prices than it is to do with actually preserving the language or is it a bit No, both? it is absolutely about preserving the language okay. and in fact, Udras and the Gael have just spoken out about some of the preliminary research they're doing to see if they can deliver homes for Irish-speaking uh, people in Ankaharua in, yeah. in the Gale Talk. So, no, this is very much about preserving the language, which is something that I think needs to happen. It's something mm. that we value and we'd like to see happen. All right. Well, listen, Carol Tallon, always a mine of information. Thank you for bringing us up to date there in the market, uh, CEO of Property District. Uh, and where can people find you on social, Carol? Uh, at Carol Tallon or at Property District. We generally have something to say about the housing market. I, and indeed you do. Now, we're all suffering uh, from Christmas excess. Too much food, too much wine, too many gifts. But perhaps we're also suffering a financial hangover. And uh, the good news is you're not alone. And if you're feeling like your finances are getting on top of you and it's still weeks, maybe feels like months before the next payday, well, do not worry, financial guru Paul Merriman, better known to his 106,000 Instagram followers as Ask Paul, is in studio with me. Very welcome back. Happy Thank New you. Year. Thank you, Sinead. Thanks for having me in. Now, it is probably the most expensive time of the year and panic buying and last minute and yeah. turning up at all the social <laughs> events costs an absolute fortune. Mm-hmm. So January's that awful time when yeah. you're, oh, you know, we have to get all this sorted now. Yeah, it's one of those periods of time where people, uh, you're right, you mentioned the money hangover, Sinead, that's definitely something a lot of people wake up with in January. You, you also mentioned another really good point in that it's a long time to pay day because a lot of people get paid early in December as well. So you could be looking at six if not seven weeks yeah. of a stint without money hitting your current account, uh, which which can obviously be, be difficult for people. You see people in January doing, you know, what they possibly should do a little bit more out throughout the year, which is they go into this real strong strict budget so you know they'll stop spending they won't go out they'll do dry January uh, to stop drinking alcohol uh, and I can't help but think that a lot of that is not rather than being fit but basically making sure not to spend money and it's easy to say no to a social event in January you can't say no to a social Isn't event it? in December yeah. Uh, so yeah look I mean a lot of people out there are going to have a few maybe credit card bills uh, maybe run into an overdraft um, and are generally trying to get the payday as well so they're the main three topics Okay now where do people go wrong when it comes to recent setting finance and promising never to do it again and this year's mm-hmm. going to be different and I need to save some money. There's still a cost of living crisis on. What are the mistakes people make? So the big mistakes that people make is uh, probably trying to overdo it. Um, you know, I actually do this in the gym every January. Try to lose a few pounds and promise I'm going to have a six pack by the summer. I am 41. It's never happened. 
<laughs> so, so definitely make the same mistakes. Uh, but same when it comes to money, try and take it easy. So first of all, you have to correct what's gone wrong. If something's gone wrong uh, in your financial life over the Christmas, i.e. you woke up and you have credit card debt or you're massively in an overdraft, you have to get out of that situation as soon as possible. That needs to be the first thing. And then after that, try and keep an eye on December 2024. Start putting a little bit of money aside. Uh, you know, we Already? Have the ask- you're getting yeah. us to think about next Christmas. <laughs> yeah, but it's so easy to do. So we've got the Ask Paul Saving Challenge on Instagram and it's literally this week if you put one euro aside and then two euro next week and three euro the following week mm. if you ramp that up over the, week, the year you'll have 1,378 euro so even if you have got a bit of credit card debt or in an overdraft find the euro and put it somewhere on your yeah. Revolut account in a vault or in the credit union or in a jar for the time being yeah. and then next week increase it by one euro every week and that's a really good challenge because it means everyone can do it from this week, which is only one euro, and it's not really taken away from mm. bringing your debt down. Mm. So that's the first thing I'd probably do. After that, then you have to tackle your debt. If you have a credit card, try and switch it to a 0% interest credit card. Um, and that's the first thing to do. Yeah, and there's still quite a lot of those. I mean, there's about six or seven on yeah, the market. Six that or seven do it. On the now, market. you still have to apply for it. You do. Yeah, you have to apply. Yeah. yeah, you do have to apply. And if you have any kind of bad credit ratings, uh, you're not going to probably get one, to be fair. So it's probably for those that have maybe less than 5,000 euro on the credit card. No, they can go right right away up, but I find it easier for clients when they do that. And of Um, course, the banks now, they're not being charitable here. They want you, they want people who overspend on their credit card. So they're prepared to give you 0% for six months. Exactly. And just watch this, Sinead, or somewhere up to a year actually, but just watch this. Make sure if you do do this, that you rip the credit card up and you don't use this credit Mm. card because you could end up moving from a 12 or 13% credit card to a 22% credit card after the interest-free period is up. Mm. So you're right, the banks know what they're doing there's no charity here they're looking for consumers that overspend and looking for consumers that are going to pay 22 or 24% interest so use the system to your benefit get the card rip it up don't use it and then clear it down that means every time you put money off that card your debt or your capital is reducing rather than paying the bank 20% interest yeah. which is great yeah Brilliant. Okay. So it's kind of the snowball method. You get, you get your highest interest bearing accounts down first. You, you clear those because that's just a gimme for the banks, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a gimme for the banks. And I think uh, mainly it's going to be credit cards, I think. And then people that have an overdraft, the big problem here is going to be an overdraft point of view is that you don't want to get the payday in January and find your overdraft is completely gone because you probably yeah. need it. So ask the bank to reduce it by 20% a month. If you have a thousand euro overdraft, bring it down to 800 for February, then now the 600 from, and you'd be gone over by the summer and yeah. then stay out of your overdraft. Yeah, it's hard hard enough to do that though because you're, you're kind of cutting back somewhere else in 100%. order to do it and maybe I I find that maybe because we're getting this money the energy credit like that 150 maybe yeah. if you could have afforded that maybe pop, pop that off your overdraft pop that off the overdraft yeah. if you can oh. do that or else look for getting tax back from medical expenses last year etc yeah yeah Okay, so so that's the little bit of savings yeah. getting going the get rid of the debt and the rest of the year then is really about budgeting or planning ahead yeah yeah budgeting and planning ahead uh, you know making sure people, I change, let's change the word budgeting to maybe a spending plan because I think people freak out with the word budget and they think automatically they have to stop spending money and they have yeah. to watch every penny a budget is really a spending plan listen to see where your money's going so it's going on your mortgage or your rent your ESB your gas the usual places and then it's about being an adult and finding out where you want to put your money. I think that's the biggest thing that people kind of freak out about. Mm. But it's supposed to enhance your life. Your money is supposed to help you. So try and turn it into a spending plan. The, the big thing I find here that people struggle with the budget, though, is they have multiple accounts, uh, Sinead. So they might have the Revolut account, the Bank of Ireland account. Uh, they might have a joint account with a partner with another account. So, you know, if you look at the likes of the OnPost Money, uh, had this really good app called the OnPost Money Manager. Uh, and that's a budget that's done for free. And you can also see 
synchronise all your accounts into one place there as well and it's free to use if you download it you can put your Bank of Orange your AIB all your various different accounts and you can see where your money is going it'll give you spending alerts if you spend too much money uh, you're coming towards a direct debit that's coming out you're alert that you haven't got enough money so it'll help you really stay on the track I suppose yeah. for 2024 yeah. Okay and, and that's really what it's about That you're controlling your money rather than your money controlling Exactly you, yeah and trying to use tech feeling. to help you as best you can okay. that's what they're there for Brilliant Okay Paul well look anybody who wants to get any of Paul's tips uh, they're absolutely fantastic it's up on Ask, ask Paul across all the yes. socials and you do your Q&A's and yes. all that kind of thing so you can actually ask him directly uh, all that kind of stuff Now before I let you go Paul I want to ask you a question we had Carl Tallon in at the top of the show talking about the property market and the landscape and yep. what's coming ahead uh, I just want to have a quick word with you about interest rates on mortgages because there's been some talk particularly out of the Fed in the States that maybe they're a little bit more optimistic than the ECB yeah. talking about maybe flattening out rates they've peaked they may yeah. come down Christine Lagarde not quite so confident No, not at all uh, and I think you're dead right uh, people have to really be careful to get content here the Fed are going to start cutting rates dramatically because mm. the Fed has two obligations number one is inflation number two is to stimulate the com- economy as well number three an election coming yeah, up and uh, the 100% <laughs> election coming up uh, so I do think they're going to cut rates dramatically I think stock market is going to do really well in 2024 mm. on the basis of that before the election comes around um, uh, yeah but we're. Well, I think the European Central Bank is probably you might even see one more rate increase in this quarter depending on what the inflation figures come from the end of the right. year uh, it's a 50-50 in my opinion and then they're going to start cutting by maybe point Two five percent, you might see half a percent cut. But Sinead, this only helps tracker rate holders. All the fixed rate rates haven't been passed on by the banks, and the variable rates haven't been passed on by the banks. So you know, I, I do think if you're a fixed rate customer or on a variable rate, you're going to see rate increases. And if you're a tracker rate, you're going to see rate decrease, but only minimal. And I think the, the, the mm. days of 0%, like if you go back thousands of years through history, everyone always charged interest. So the years of having 0% interest is a, is a freak was the blip. event. It was a freak yeah. event. So you're never going to see your tracker at 0% again. European Central Bank, in my opinion, will settle about two and a half, probably three percent. To be fair, two point seven five three percent. And mathematically, that's where it should be. Oh, and that's to a good keep economy. inflation right. at two yeah. percent, which is the cent- European exactly. Central Bank's only job. Exactly, you have to have interest rates hovering about hundred percent around three percent. Okay. And then, if you're on a tracker, your bank's margin are on top of that. So you've got a tracker looking off at 0.75, you might end up paying 3.75. Yeah. If you have a tracker of 1.5, you're going to end yeah. up paying 4.5. And this, folks, is why they don't sell trackers anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Thanks exactly. realised it was a terrible yeah. idea in the first place. <laughs> it wasn't the but it idea. took them a lot of time to do that. <laughs> All right, Paul Merriman, uh, ask Paul. Thank you so much for joining us in studio, resetting our finance. You're always so positive and <laughs> you, you kind of go out of here thinking, I could do that. Uh, thanks, Sinead. <laughs> so, That's very So maybe we'll. All right. Well, as I say, uh, ask Paul on Instagram and it's lovely to have you back in the home show studio. Thanks. Now, the tradition of hanging horseshoes in houses for good luck goes back centuries. One of the earliest mentions of the practice comes from a 10th century tale involving the patron saint of blacksmiths, Saint Dunstan, and his encounter with Satan. As the story goes, he outsmarted the devil and made him agree never to enter an abode with a horseshoe hanging over the entrance again. But whatever its true origins, the good luck horseshoe has a long history in this country. My next guest is bringing it back uh, with an added twist to a new generation. Anne Healy is the founder of Biddy's Good Luck Horseshoes and joins me now. You're Thank very you, welcome Sinead. to the studio. Thanks a million for having me. Now, um, so this tradition that we have, tell me about your involvement. This wasn't always what you did. No. 
I worked in corporate for 37 years, imagine. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I think about it now, but anyway, I had I had a great life in corporate. I won't say anything. It was a great place to be. A proper pensionable job, they would a say. A proper pensionable job. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I suppose, people were stunned when I left. But anyway, leaving that aside, um, I also had two children that rode. So all through their secondary school life and their college life, mm. they would have competed a lot doing various things from pony club to, to triathlon to pentathlon. Um, but anyway, riding being mm. one of the things that they did, along with running, swimming and everything mm. else. Mm. So we had loads of horseshoes. I got married 33 years ago and on my wedding day, my flower girl, Cecilia, gave me a horseshoe. So I knew the tradition and my mother would have told me about it anyway. And I suppose, you know, going back to my grandfather's time, there would have been always a horseshoe up over the garage more than actually in the house. You know, so I knew the tradition. I liked the tradition. And I suppose while I was working, I hadn't got time to explore any of that. And that being the reality of it. But on Mike's, so my my youngest child's leave and search year, he was actually swimming. And we were up at five o'clock in the morning to the pool at half five. And on that year, he gave up swimming. So we were, I suppose, awake, Sinead. Mm. want a better mm. word, at eight o'clock at night, as opposed to being in bed. So that year, I suppose when we got ourselves back to being awake, I began to explore what I could do with the horseshoes. So if I was going to visit you, I'd bring you a horseshoe. And people began to say, God, you should really do something with that. And you know what? It was really out of that. It was out of something and nothing in the end. Mm. It was looking at the horseshoes and saying, there must be a way that I can do something with this, Mm. knowing the tradition that I started to do it. So roughly for about a year before I exited my job I was playing around with it for want of a better word and it was Mm. only playing around with Mm. it it was maybe going through a few markets which I mightn't have totally liked but going to them anyway and seeing what the reaction was getting feedback and talking to people and seeing you know did they remember the tradition yeah, and is this something that they would that they would like to see so tell us what you did do then because you repurposed them yeah so so we take used horseshoes. The tradition is it has to be a used horseshoe. So we take used horseshoes and turn them into gifts. A beautiful old tradition that's part of our history mm. and our heritage. Um, so they're all repurposed. So every shoe that we use has been worn mainly by an Irish sports horse. It's sustainable. So they're completely sustainable. Mm. They are completely redone. So cleaned right back mm. and a new surface put on them. And then depending on what you want. So we make to order for every occasion. Anything from a new baby to a wedding to somebody being sick to a thank you gift and Mm. absolutely everything in between. I'll tell you, do you know what? I have the most creative customers. (laughs) You know, they they come to me with beautiful ideas and something where they want to give. I suppose, look, it's it's about giving something that's positive and lucky at the same time Mm. and something that will actually last forever. I'm curious nowadays, like obviously in times gone by before cars, the horse was, well, everybody had Mm. horses and that's how everybody Mm. got around. So there were thousands and thousands of horseshoes. But are there enough now that obviously enough to sustain your business? Yeah, no. So we work very much like it's uh, it's totally sustainable. So we take, so I suppose when I started off, I was using my own horseshoes. Uh, don't ask me why I kept them, but I did. I have had sheds of them, right? Mm. 
Um, when that stock began to deplete, I had to think of something else, like where they were going to come from. So now we do a sustainability package with a few yards where we take their horseshoes away. Mm. And how area. often would a horse change its shoes? I mean, how, how kind of is your Not supply working? Now, so yeah. You're roughly every six to eight weeks. Right. Yeah, if they're in competition. Okay. Okay, yes, so so, th- so that'll keep your supply going. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know now that um, you have branched out because, of course, these traditional Irish crafts are very much valued in the American market in oh in particular. And yeah. and you have found that. Yeah, absolutely. So at the minute, we have ten shops in the US, mainly centred around New York, Boston. Um, Good Irish are, contingent yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That we were supplying too, but we send so many. So. So many Irish people want to give that little piece of Irish good luck, something that has touched Irish soil yeah. to their American children, yeah. friends, relations. And they just like, it's not a very expensive gift and yet it's a very precious gift. So it's something that will actually last forever and they love to send it. So it's that nostalgia piece around it. Yeah. And you yeah. make everything kind of from scratch you know, yes. rather than bulk, bulk make oh, or no, whatever. Oh, no, everything it's all is made. Done. So when you contact me, you're getting, a, you're starting at the beginning. That's fantastic. All right. Well, listen, Anne, I wish you, it, like it, it, the horseshoe is a symbol of good luck, but so it has proven in your, in your yes, business, quite absolutely. literally. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's gone really, really well for you. Uh, what's up for you now in 2024? 2024, More of the same? Before the end of this month, we're going to Showcase, yep. which is absolutely wonderful. This is my second time at Showcase and I suppose that's where I was exposed to the US market uh-huh. in particular and the UK. So we're going again um, to showcase. And this year then we're doing a big concentration on corporate gifting. We started last year. Um, it proved really good for us. Yeah. Um, we are looking for hotels as well. We do a lot of hotels where they want to give a nice gift to the bride and groom. Okay. So we don't want every hotel, but we want, you know, one in each county at least. So that's what we're working on with the corporate gifts. All right. So and listen, it's very busy. fantastic. Keep you going. Where can people find out more about Jan? Biddy's Good Luck Horseshoes. I'm on all social media platforms, everything. All right. Um, and the website is www.biddy'sgoodluckhorseshoes. Why Biddy, by the way? Biddy was the horse that Edward rode, the first horse that came into our house. And she gave 200% Sinead all of the time. So I couldn't but call my business Biddy. Edward was the first Irish boy to win an English tetratlon on Biddy in 08 and Biddy minded and protected him right. on that journey. Right. And, and you're minding Biddy's oh name now by, Absolutely. by naming the yeah. horseshoes yeah. after it. All right. Anne Healy, founder of Biddy's Good Luck Horseshoes. Thanks a million for joining us on the home Thank show today. Much. Down from Kilkenny. Yes. Uh, that's wonderful. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Uh, and if you want to listen back to any of the elements, if you've missed them this week or indeed any week, you can do so uh, on the Home Show podcast. It is up on Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And I am delighted uh, to have back on the show and welcome for the first time in 2024, our friend of the Home Show, former Home of the Year winner, Jennifer Sheehan. You're very welcome back, Jenny. Happy New Year. You had a busy Christmas. You were on your holliers. You were travelling. Tell me where you found yourself in an interiors paradise. I mean, heaven. Workman's holiday. If I could live there, I would. It was was very much working all day. I went over to London, not just to go to see 
Liberty, which is where we ended up and what we'll be talking about. But to go and see ABBA, which was one of the best experiences. ABBA Voyage, <laughs> unbelievable. We could do a whole show on it. It time. is, it is. On the way though, we stopped into Liberty and had a look around and it was just... It's so beautiful. Now, for the uninitiated, tell us what the institution that is Liberty. It's been around for a very, very long time. It's as famous, I think, yeah. uh, in London as Harrods. And you could walk past it. I would say it's be- it's a better experience than Harrods because it's so old and ancient and it's just amazing. But you could just walk past it. So Liberty London, it, it started off with patterns, fabric importing, uh, and, and beautiful pattern design in 1875. So it's it's been around a long, 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 long time. And if you go in, you know, you'll see all the usual things in a department store, amazing clothes, fabulous jewellery. But if you go upstairs to the top floor, they have all of their fabrics, all of their patterns. And it's a very quirky place. You know, you're not going to find the things that are super fashionable or trickled down or anything like that. I mean, they really walked the beat of their own drum and, and they really set the trends, I think. So it was a, a fabulous trip. And I know a lot of production designers use Liberty and Liberty yeah. Fabrics if they're doing, say, period dramas or stuff for film or television because they can pretty much source anything that yeah. you need anywhere in the world. Isn't isn't that the thing? Yeah, that's the thing. Any passion you're thinking about, any style, any colours, mm. get it for you. And it's a lovely old-fashioned shop, you know, it's yeah. a really solid place. So um, tell us then, in terms of if people are heading over to have a look, or if we just want to kind of head start on what may be on trend in 2024, this is where you're going to find it for all its old-fashionedness. Yeah. This is the yeah. stuff that, that people are buying. So talk to me about what you found. So... Obviously, I'm biased because this is the home of patterns, but patterns are not going anywhere and they've been in for a long, long, long time. And I'm thrilled to see that they're not going anywhere. And we've seen that everywhere throughout the year. So I would say this is even less of a trend and much more of an an established thing. So they're not going anywhere. And we can talk a bit more about how to kind of use them and bring them into your home because, you know, I love that in a January refresh. You're taking down all your decorations, your house Mm. looks a bit bare. Maybe you're thinking of a bit of an uplift. And I just think, you know, a bit of fabric, a bit of chair upholstering or new Mm. curtains or something is a lovely way to do it. Okay, so lots of fabrics and and clashing fabrics, yeah. you know, because yeah. they do that well. They kind so of, well. give, you know, they t- it's that fear that we have of kind of having a bright floral pattern and then putting a big striped cushion beside it. Yeah, you know, you it, can it, do, it, by all means know. you can do that. But it's, yeah, and there's, be worried about there's kind of a few rules of thumb of doing that, right? So one thing is mix small with large. So if you're thinking of that big, bold floral pattern, a great way to clash it is to put a very, very small print against it. So mm. that's that's a good one. Another thing is you can keep the colour quite consistent. So it's good to have contrast if one if one pattern is bright or, or light that another one is darker. But if there's a little thread of colour running through both mm. of them, then that really marries everything very, very well. So maybe thinking of, say, a big dusky rose on, yeah. on a cushion and then another cushion could be that pink, but in a stripe. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. or a gingham or, or something, but it, it's the colour your eye is drawn exactly. to. That's similar, okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. So patterns and like the pattern now I wasn't mad about throughout 2023 and I'm not mad sure I want to see. Are we going it. to agree on this? Shanae? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who we are. It's that whole geometric thing. Oh yeah. I've Well, geometrics. I like stripes. I really like stripes. I always like them. I've never come across a stripe mm. that I don't like. So, And that is a geometric pattern. In terms of something that makes me makes me feel a bit dizzy, I don't mm. love that. Mm. I don't really love that. Mm. But having said that, you know, 
there's a lot that you can do with geometric patterns to kind of trick the eye. And again, I'm talking about small homes here, right? Because that is just what I love and, and kind of tricking the eye into making it feel bigger. And geometric patterns can do a lot to make a room feel a bit bigger. So stripes, again, vertical stripes are brilliant for drawing the mm. eye up and making mm. the room feel a bit taller and more airy and more spacious. Uh, a chevron pattern has a kind of an endless repetition to it which can really make a space feel, feel okay. much larger than it Because maybe it gives that perspective. It's like a 3D effect, yeah, really. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. But I'm with you on some of them. I just feel a bit mm. dizzy and I don't love it. Too much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, you found a lot of tassels over there. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you're, you already went with a bias for tassels, so <laughs> that bought into it. I just, what it really opened my eyes to was that you can put a tassel on pretty much anything, right? So I saw tassels on curtains. I saw them as a fringe around the bottom of sofas, which I've yeah. actually been seeing a lot of lately. Mm, mm. And that is, you know, if you're looking at your kind of tired old sofa and you're thinking of a little bit of an uplift, mm. that's a really fun thing or to do. Or just go to your granny's because she's likely to have one <laughs> from the original time that they were there. So tassels, and actually... What can be lovely is I have a cushion cover that I bought actually abroad and yeah. it has just a tassel on each corner. That's lovely. And yeah, it's in a contrast, lovely. like a little gold, like a tied tassel. Yeah. And it's just a, just a little extra texture. Because if you think about tassels, you can kind of have them as a full fringe the whole way around, you know, your rug or your curtains or anything. Or yeah, you can have that little accent just mm. at the ends or just on the mm. corner is that one kind of a, yeah. Brilliant. Lovely. Okay. Now, uh, mixing textures. Uh, yeah. We've spoken about this before on the home show. And again, you have to be a tiny bit careful about it. So talk to me now about like what you found and how we could replicate it. Yeah. Well. So mixing textures is one of the easiest ways, I would think, to just give your home an instant uplift. If it's feeling a bit flat, a bit tired, a bit kind of samey, it's great. So the key to that is contrast. So you want something that is, you know, deep and plush and soft against something that's a little bit flatter and more rough. So for example, if you're thinking of silk, that will go lovely with some wool or some linen. And a great way to layer it is, for example, your curtains. So if you have, you know, a sheer voile and then it's overlaid with a different curtain material. Uh, I actually love layering rugs. So if you're in a bit of an awkwardly shaped room and you're like, how do I get a rug to fit this space? I love that concept of maybe a big, large kind of rattan, more neutral rug underneath and then layered with something else on top on to top kind of fill of out it. that space. Oh, okay. I think that can look really, really nice. Obviously, blankets, you know, it's winter and we're, we're really just still getting into the depths of it. So lots of layered blankets and cushions on your your sofa on your couch yeah and actually a throw or a blanket the best way like if you've got say a velour sofa or a leather sofa you just go for something completely contrasting in terms of and those lovely kind of knit or even those Aran type uh, things can be absolutely fabulous with it that big chunky knit that's Mm. lovely on a leather sofa and then if you have a softer sofa maybe just kind of a flatter yeah, it. yeah and, it ju- and it just changes that look completely and actually plushes it I think a little bit yeah oh absolutely yeah okay Contract. now th- lovely alright so if anybody is going to London do pay a visit to Liberty it's absolutely fab now it is the 6th of January so it's traditionally the day that the Christmas tree comes down I'll be honest with you now folks <laughs> mine came down last week uh, but that's just me uh, it's a great opportunity to get your house back and maybe do a little bit of decluttering once you get all your decorations yeah. boxed up and put away you that instant feeling of how large yeah. the house looks. It lo- it's only going to last a day, <laughs> so don't waste it. Isn't that it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I often find like once, it's always the first step on anything, you know, going for a walk or getting to the gym or anything is the hurdle. So I always find once I've started taking down my Christmas decorations and the tree is coming down, I'm on a roll then and then I just want to declutter everything. I want it all gone. So I often end up doing my kind of spring cleaning in January because... You know, I'm on the I'm on the bus already. <laughs> so I get rid of everything. So um, give us some tips now about 
how we can use the opportunity to clear out yeah. maybe not a little bit more than just the Christmas decorations. Yeah, so once the Christmas decorations are down, I put all mine in a clear plastic box and I put them away in the attic because otherwise you've no idea what's in there. You forget and then you think, you know, coming into Christmas next year, will I buy extra fairy lights? No, you don't need them. You already have them. You can see them <laughs> in your box. So what I do once I'm kind of doing my blitz through the house after my Christmas decor- decorations are put away, I do four piles. I have a keep pile, keep pile, a bin pile, mm. a donate pile and a maybe pile. So keep is self-explanatory stuff I want for myself. I'm going to keep it. I'm not throwing it anywhere. Bin is, you know, maybe it's broken or it's just not useful anymore. I'm sick of it or it's, you know, a melted candle that it's done, whatever. Donate is stuff that is perfectly good and, mm. uh, you know, somebody else would love it, but I don't personally want it. So mm. it goes to the to local charity shop. Then the maybe pile is key, I this feel. This is the hard one. Isn't this the one though that ends up sometimes the biggest? Well, it can do. <laughs> I know, I'm pretty ruthless, right? So if, often what I'll do, so this is the pile where you're like, oh, I don't, you know, it's sentimental or someone gave it to me and I don't want to throw it out but I'm not going to use it. You, often what I'll do in that scenario is take a photo of it and maybe make a note of it and, you know, keep that somewhere nice but then I'll throw away the actual thing because I don't want to take enough space and cluttering. So what I do is I put on my maybe pile. Very condo of you. I know. I just don't like the, I don't like stuff. But anyway, what I do with my maybe pile is I put that all in one box and I put that box away and then I'll make a note to revisit it sometime later in the year and you'll find that your perspective has changed. You don't need the thing that you It'll either be, what was I thinking pile? Yeah. (laughs) Or the, why did I put it in here? I actually love that. I'll keep it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, brilliant. Um, So that's a a very, very nice thing to do and uh, and it helps you do that. Now, of course, one of the big things that I like to do, I have a box in one of my wardrobes, which is my re-gifting box. Oh, I love that. It's essential. However, Absolutely. you have to be a little bit careful. Well, label all the <laughs> items in the regifting box very clearly with who gave it to you and when, because you could be very much stuck in a very awkward position where you give back a gift to somebody. And can I add a tip? If something is in a box, take it out of the box, shake the box so that you come across the hidden label that goes, Happy Birthday, oh, Sinead. <laughs> Oh, don't put a hidden label in a present if you're giving it to somebody, oh, right? Just don't. it happens. It happens. Speaking for a friend. <laughs> I love, I'm shameless about the re-gifting box. I just No, love and listen, what's, what's harm with that? If you're getting something you love, do you exactly. care if it was paid for or not? Exactly. Okay, fantastic. Right. Listen, loads ahead this year, Jenny. Um, lots coming up. Yes. And we are big going year. to be, big year, big yeah. year. So we're going to be featuring you and you, and maybe we might take, uh, you still have your camper, your I have campers. a lot we might of trips coming up good, camper in good. I'm going to have stories coming out my ears Sure, we might bring the home show out and have a little look around your camper we'll, uh, can we fit everybody more? in can we fit everybody into the camper the microphones and <laughs> <laughs> micro home show that'll be it that'll be it All you'll right. be staying in a nearby hotel I'd say that's a promise that's a promise alright Jenny uh, thank you very much and you can find out everything uh, about Jenny's life and everything she has to say on Workers Cottage on Instagram on Instagram which has a fantastic following and it's well worth doing and that is all we have time for this week I'm afraid we hope you enjoyed the content and got some inspo uh, from it and of course we'll be back next time with uh, an episode every week hopefully during 2024 and if you missed anything you can listen back to any of our pods uh, which are up on Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud thank you to Aidan McKelvey and Eva Breen producing this week Stephen McLoon was on sound and we will see you next time round on the Home Show podcast with me Sinead Ryan The Home Show with Sinead Ryan Saturday morning at 8 with Daikin on News Talk.